Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Brewers Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Final hour for the week brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. All right, it is the first official day of summer. It's the first official weekend of summer. The 4th of July is less than two weeks away. You need to stock up. Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket imports, domestics, microbrews. They have the best selection of beer anywhere. Eh, maybe your group likes wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks. They have plenty of that. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. Bags are right there at the register in the pickle bar, led by the barrels and the dills, indeed, second to none. All at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. I'm in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. John Urschel in a few moments. First of all, our play-by-play call of the day. The Reds go to Miller Park to take on Christian Yelich and the Brewers. 2-2 the count. And a high drive. Deep right. Christian Yelich, number 28. And one of his longest ones of the year at Miller Park. On a two-strike pitch, Christian Yelich goes deep. 28 home runs on the year already for Christian Yelich and leading the Brewers in that one against the Cincinnati Reds. And Brian Anderson with the call on the Brewers television network. John Urschel, what a career. Campbell Trophy winner, Campbell Award winner. Goes to the NFL and uh, plays a lot with the Baltimore Ravens and then decides to retire. He's been doing a lot of work at MIT, and we're very pleased with his new book that is out, and I hope you enjoy it very much, dealing with both football and math, John Urschel. Hello, John. Great to have you with us again. Steve, it's great to be with you. We haven't talked in so long. It's been uh, it's been too long. It's been long, far too long, John. Uh, I'll start with a, a different tack to this. I remember uh, doing quarterback club with you. And you had told me earlier that year, he says, you know, I wish everybody would just stop asking me about math. I want to be known as somebody who can play football, too. And I asked you nothing but football questions that day. And you leaned over and said, hey, thanks. How important was it for you at that stage of your life to not just be known as the math guy playing football, but a guy that could really play football? It was really important to me. It was uh, It was a time in my life where... I felt like I was a very good football player, and I just I didn't want that to be overshadowed. But I felt like, you know, I was just a very good offensive lineman. I was a good Big Ten offensive lineman, and I wanted uh, I didn't want that to get overshadowed. Right, At, and, and playing though at Penn State, let's face it, there are a lot of twists and twists. If I recall correctly, your first start was in FedEx Field against Indiana. If I recall correctly. You have a good memory. So close. So this was not my first start. 
but this okay. was uh, this was like pretty much the first game that I really played serious time in. I mean, what happened that game? We had uh, at that time our center was a guy by the name of uh, Doug Klopatz. Yep, and uh, he went down the very first drive of the game, and so Wisniewski was playing right guard at this time, and uh, typically. You know, the center goes down, you put the center in. So at that point, Ty Howell was the backup center because, uh, well, Matt had mono, but uh, Coach Paterno decided that he didn't want Ty to go in, but instead he wanted me to go in at guard and Wisniewski to move over to center. And I played the entire game minus, like, five plays. Right. All right. Uh, and you come to Penn State, and the idea is that you're not going to end up at MIT. You wanted to be a football player when you got here, as you documented in your, your, your book. Uh, what was the process for you becoming a football player, and then what started you on the road of being a serious collegiate mathematician? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that uh, when I got to Penn State as a football player, I was very raw, I was undersized, and the thing I really focused on was just uh, keeping my head down and getting to work. I... Uh, I always tell people that uh, I, I had so much more math talent than football ability, I would say. And, you know, math has always come easier to me. But football, man, it just took a lot of hard work, like a lot of hours of just dedication and deciding that I'm going to make myself into a good football player and I'm going to contribute. I mean, when I, uh, when I was recruited by Penn State, I was the, uh, you know, the two-star recruit, no one really had interest in me, and I was—I think I was like the 26th out of 27 people they signed that year, and the seventh offensive lineman. So, yeah, I, the yeah, number I of really time, sort of, yeah, yeah. The number of times uh, I ran into you at Starbucks and you were there with your dad, and you were both oh. were on your—the number of times you guys were on your computers. Yeah, uh, pretty high. I mean, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I just, uh, Starbucks, like, I've always been a big fan of, uh, of doing math, doing work in coffee shops. Yeah. Yeah. What was that, exp what was that bonding experience like? Because you'd be there with dad. I mean, that, and I always thought that was really cool. It, it seemed like you were sharing a lot together, even though you had computer screens in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my dad visited me all the time. He was like, uh, you know, he, he really enjoyed Penn State and me playing at Penn State. And my dad retired. He was a thoracic surgeon. And so he, you know, he loved learning. I loved learning and sort of like learning together, even though we might be learning different things, was something that we, uh, we did often when I was in college. Your mother, though, supported everything you ever did. She, as you point out in the book, she would work the concession stand at high school and the whole deal. Mm-hmm. But would it be fair to say she was not completely enamored with you playing football? <laughs> not, not exactly. She is, uh, she is not your typical football mom. She, uh, she will support me in just about anything I do, even if she's not the biggest fan of it. And uh, yeah, football. This was not her. This was not her favorite thing in the world. In fact, I think in the book you said she described that you were the one that was next to the guy that was hiking the ball. <laughs> exactly, yeah. This is, this is exactly right. She would come to every game, cheer me on, you know, 
support me in every way possible. But uh, yeah, she was not enamored by football. She was uh, she cared a lot more about uh, about science and you know technology. All right. So when you're at Penn State, then the opportunity then arises where you can not only learn math at a, at the highest level, but you could also teach it. What did it take for you to teach a class, and what did you learn about math from a teacher's point of view that made you a better mathematician? That's a that's a great question. So it actually wasn't too tough to be able to teach. I mean, the toughest thing was just, uh, you know, talking to the football department and making sure, you know, the academic advisors on the football team are good with it, the coaches are good with it, because when you're teaching a course, you know, you have to, you have to be there for exams, you can't, uh, you know, you can't miss these things. And so we made sure that all the scheduling worked, and uh, because I had already graduated with my undergrad, and I was a graduate student in the Penn State math department. I mean, this is what uh, graduate students can do. And so I decided I wanted to teach a couple courses because I thought I might want to be a professor and I wanted to get some experience. And I'll say it was absolutely amazing teaching at Penn State. And one of the biggest things I learned sort of about math from teaching at Penn State is more important than my students sort of, uh, you know, remembering some math formula or something of that sort is that they just are a little bit better at thinking quantitatively by the time they're done with my course. In the sense that, you know, math fundamentally is a tool to help you solve problems and think quantitatively. And so I hope everyone who takes my class feels like they're at least a little bit of a better thinker by the time they're done with it. Sometimes if you are a great athlete, I'll give an example, Ted Williams, great hitter. Mm -hmm. Ted Williams, when he became the manager of the Washington Senators back in the late 60s, had to discipline himself because even though he worked at hitting, it still came easy to him, and he had to remember that what was easy to him may not be easy to somebody else. Did you have to dis- – you've always loved math and it's been easy for you. In teaching, have you had to discipline yourself to remind yourself that what may be easy to me is not easy to them? Yes, but uh, not as much as you would think. I think that this is something that all teachers, I think, go through to some extent. The fact that you're teaching some material or some subject means that you're an expert at it. And because you're an expert, certain things start to feel obvious, start to feel like they come immediately. And so I really, I really try to assume as little as possible. And I think sort of not making that mistake is something that just comes with teaching experience. This is just something that I think every teacher sort of learns and gets better at as time goes on. You went through one of the more tumultuous times that any college athlete can go through here at Penn State. In the end, how much did that help you grow as a man and around with your teammates? Uh, I think it was a really a great sort of opportunity for growth, and I have to say that uh, there's no time period in sort of Penn State football history 
that I would rather be at Penn State than during that period. I, uh, I have to say that, first of all, I was honored to be able to represent my football team and my university as sort of someone, you know, facing the world and sort of showing that, you know, Penn State University is an amazing place full of, you know, all of these people doing great, fantastic things and that, you know, a university isn't defined by, like, the actions of one single person. And uh, that was something that meant a lot to me, to be able to give back to a university that's given me so much. And I have to say that uh, it definitely helped me grow as a man to sort of put things in perspective. Right. You you were talking earlier a couple answers ago, John, about um, you know there are certain parts of math that become obvious. In football, something that is not obvious is that by the end of the season, and I'm not telling you, but I'm telling the audience, every single player is hurt by the end of the season. The last oh, yeah, week, of yeah, yeah, the last week, and I, I I knew you were banged up. I forgot it was your hip. I think I'm right about that. It was your hip that was bothering you going into the Wisconsin yeah. game. And, of course, you and I know that we fly out on the plane and the whole world thinks that, you know, 9-2 Wisconsin's going to take a baseball bat to Penn State. And mm-hmm. not only did Penn State win, but it was impressive. What was that like to be in that moment, knowing that there was no bowl game, it was your last game, and guess what? You went out doing what you just did. It was an amazing feeling. I mean... You know, when people ask me about my favorite, you know, Penn State football game, they ask me about, you know, you know, the uh, 409 win. They ask me about, you know, triple overtime versus Michigan. They ask me about all these different games. My favorite Penn State game was my senior year at Wisconsin because, like you said, first of all, Wisconsin was really in the media. They were talking about sort of why they should be considered for the Rose Bowl. They were making a case for themselves for a BCS Bowl, and they were very much looking past us. We were 24 or 25-point underdogs, and really no one thought we had a shot. We had sort of been written off. And, you know, we just decided, like, that week of practice was one of the best sort of weeks of practice that, like, I've seen a Penn State football team have in my entire career. And... We just went out there and we decided that, no, we are going to sort of rewrite this narrative and we're going to win. And we just went out there and we did it, and it was, a, it was an amazing experience. Yeah, I remember after practice that week and then getting on the plane with you guys on Friday, uh, I, I, I saw Jack Ham and he said, what do you think? I said, I, said, I think they may kill this team. Uh, he said, really? I said, yeah, they were that good in practice that week. Look, you get drafted by the Ravens. It's a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think of the pro experience and the in the in the business part of the of it? It was uh it was okay. I uh I have to say, so first of all, of course, there's something amazing about, you know, playing a sport you love at the highest level against some of the world's greatest athletes. But uh, you know, there's just certain things that you get well, I should say I shouldn't say that you get in the college environment. There's certain things that you get at Penn State in that sort of football environment that just aren't there in the league. And people would always tell me that when they would come back and visit, but I didn't really understand when I was playing at Penn State just how different it is, how close you are with your teammates, what it's like to sort of go out every Saturday 
representing your university, sort of a, you know, a place that you're so intimately tied to, and you know, playing in front of like over a hundred thousand fans, it's uh, it's something special. And in the league, the concept of team is a little looser. You know, a pro team doesn't really have, you know, that much of a commitment to you, in many ways, and you're more like an independent contractor. And guys on the team, while they're not nearly as close. A lot of them are like competing for jobs. Like you know, in college you're competing for, let's say, a starting spot or something. But in the pros, you're competing to, let's say, feed your family. And it's just, uh, it's just a different environment. And so I have to say, Penn State football is uh, absolutely my favorite time period of my football career. Not high school, not professional, but Penn State football. And, John, you had to make the decision at some point because you were making progress in this league, playing center, playing guard with the Ravens. But then you made the decision, you know what, it's time to walk away. Mm -hmm. Was it difficult to make that decision? And, you know, obviously I've read what you wrote in the book, but explain to everybody what factors that were so important to you that say, you know what, this is the right thing to do and the right time to do it. Yeah, it it was a tough decision. It's hard to know when you know when's the right time but uh it felt like the right decision looking back on it i'm uh, i'm very happy with uh retiring exactly when i did not any sooner not any later and a lot of things went into it i uh you know i became a father i uh you know i <laughs> became more and more sort of invested in my mathematics career i mean i had started my phd in mathematics at mit and I started to become sort of and care more and more about sort of my longevity, sort of like uh, being healthy and raising my daughter and doing mathematics for uh, for many, many decades. To that end, how fulfilling has your life become? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's been amazing. I mean, I have to say, I just... I looking back I I just had for me personally I just had the most amazing football career. Like I'm so just uh you know overwhelmed with the experiences that I've had and I have to say I'm so happy, you know, finishing my PhD in math at MIT. I graduate next spring. Raising my daughter has been, you know, this amazing thing where it's, you know, it's something new every day. And uh I'm just very happy with what I'm doing. Well, finally, this book isn't just uh, good. It's terrific. Uh, what kind of reaction have you received to the book? I've, uh, I've gotten a lot of really positive reactions. You know, I've, I was on the media tour. Uh, it made the New York Times bestseller list. And uh, one of the most interesting things is that, you know, when you go on morning shows like Today's Show or, you know, Strahan and Sarah, there's, you know, there's always producers, and they read the book, and you wouldn't believe how many producers, when I was in New York City on my book tour, told me that the book sort of felt like a love letter to Penn State. Yeah. Like, they said that by the time they were done sort of, like, reading the portions about Penn State, it made them all want to send their children just to Penn State and nowhere else. And they're right about that. John, as you mentioned yeah, at the it, beginning, it's been it was, far too uh, long. Yeah. No, go ahead, John. I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, no. I was just going to say that uh, 
no, and it wasn't, I have to say, like it wasn't purposeful. It wasn't something I thought about when I wrote this. I really just wanted to talk about my experiences and my college experiences and how it shaped me. And uh, it wasn't until people kept telling me that over and over again, you know, independently that I came to realize, you know, just how much of sort of an impact Penn State's had on my life. Well, and vice versa, the impact you had on people here. John, by the way, I just want to let you know, I mean, obviously I've done this job a long time, but I'm not going to speak to the math part. Obviously, you're a genius, but you were a terrific football player here. Okay, you really were. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, I appreciate that, and I have to say that sort of my Penn State football career is something that means a lot to me. The book is Mind and Matter, written by John Urschel, one of the true greats here. Today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Cube, it's 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. On News Radio 1070 WKOK. There's a reason Sunbury Motors Ford has been satisfying more customers and selling more cars since 1950. Isn't it time you found out why? Now through the end of June, SMC has 125 new trucks with savings up to 16 grand. The Ford F-150 has been the number one selling vehicle for 42 consecutive years. And one is sold every 29 seconds. SMC has 2019 F-150s from 25904. Plus there's 0% financing for up to 72 months on 2000. 2019 F-150s. There's 16 of the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger 4x4s in both extended and crew cabs starting as low as 34870. And Sunbury Motors needs your old truck, so they'll give you the most money for your truck trade, period. There's no reason, no reason to go anywhere else. Sunbury Motors Ford in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. Outlet, the beverage super stock superstores, ready for all of your warm weather activities. Camping, picnics, grilling, visit Brewers Outlet first for microbrews, imports, domestic specialties. They got them. Grab some pickles at the pickle bar, Steve Jones's favorite place. Snacks, Brewers Outlet has that covered. Soda, sports drinks, check. Weekly specials, too. And there's lots of convenient parking. So get all the refreshments everyone will love for your next outdoor gathering at Brewers Outlet, the beverage super stock superstore, Reagan Street, Sunbury. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Here it is, the first official day of summer, first official weekend of summer. Fourth of July is on the horizon, just uh, 13 days away. And we're going to be talking college football with Phil Steele because you can talk college football spring, winter, summer, and obviously in the fall. Phil Steele in just a few moments. It is the magazine. It's the only one that I would even put my dollars down on. That's worth, you know, because his has incredible value. Uh, we'll talk to Phil in just a few moments. But on this first weekend of summer, with the 4th of July on the horizon. You need to stock up at Brewers Outlet. Yes, Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. They have the best selection of beer anywhere. Imports, domestics, microbrews. Eh, maybe your crowd likes wine coolers. Plenty of those. Water, soft drinks, snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. And that pickle bar, 
Yes, the pickle bar. Led by the barrels and the dills. All together now. Yes, you in there in Turbotville. Second to none. All at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Speaking of second to none, Sunbury Motors. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Great staff, great service department, great deals, great product. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Well, you could talk college football anytime. And if I'm going to talk college football, I've got to make sure I have Phil Steele with me to talk football. Phil, always great to have you with us. You know, I'm doing good. I'm I'm enjoying uh, my time right now. I get to, uh, magazine's done. Deadlines are over. We spent six months on that puppy. And now I get to talk football all day long. So it's like I'm not even working. I'm sure you know the feeling. <laughs> I know the feeling. I know the feeling very much. Uh, it, it's a, you. You work on this all the time. It's a constant labor of love, but it's it, you know. But there's an intensity to it. What has the transfer portal meant to how Oof. how you put this together and what you think of teams now because of the transfers? I tell you, it's a good thing we come out later than everybody else. You know, the other yeah. magazines to, to be out in the middle of May like they are. They have to go to the press. Before spring practices are over, for crying out loud, I wait till after spring practices are over. I wait to talk to the coaches after they've had their exit interviews. So I'm privy to some of the transfers that might be happening that aren't announced yet, which is really good for the magazine. But there were so many transfers in the month of May that we were making last-minute moves here and there, and uh, it, it it's getting a little a little tough in, in May to get the thing done. But good thing we come out later than everybody else. Okay, so that, the next part, because of the number of transfers, in your opinion, who who did you change your opinion on for a team based on the transfers pro and con? Um, I would have to say uh, maybe a, a team, and I'm going to go off the radar here. I'm going to go with maybe a Buffalo. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, you know, when you look at when you look at Buffalo, they they were they were. I was talking to Coach Leipold. They were set up for this year, and then they lose one kid to the NFL, and they lose, I think, four kids to P5 conference transfers. And all of a sudden, what looked like a major contender in the MAC turned into a middle-of-the-road team in the East, most likely. Right. You know, and Penn State plays Buffalo this year, and I've been putting together their stuff, and it's amazing. I'm with you. I looked at the Buffalo team. You know, obviously, Jackson, the quarterback, went to the NFL draft. I thought, big loss, but I'm looking and thinking, boy, they've got a lot of people back until the transfer thing happened. Yeah, and losing guys to, to P5 schools like they are, <clears throat> they lost one of their top receivers to Miami. Yes. And I figured, okay, he's going to Miami of Ohio. Yeah. No, Miami of Florida. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. wow. These, and, and Coach Leipold was saying they're basically coming in, and uh, they're, they're going after the top group of five guys, and naturally they're going to get them. All right, so let's get to a couple teams. You look at a team like Ohio State, you know you know the talent base, but do you have how difficult is it for you to read an Ohio State team because Ryan Day hasn't been a head coach? Well, the good thing is, you know, he had the the four games as the head coach last year, been in the system. So that's that's one big advantage I think that he has coming in, but he's not Urban Meyer. So there is going to be a little bit of a drop off definitely at the coaching department. Uh, overall, I think the talent at Ohio State is probably pretty good. Defensively, they were not the typical Ohio State defense last year. Gave up way too many big plays. This year, I think you'll see with the amount of talent they have coming back, nine starters on defense. 
it will be more your typical Ohio State offense. The big thing, or defense, I should say. Offensively, the big question mark to me is a quarterback. Now, you know Justin Fields is not going to throw for 4,800 yards and 50 touchdowns like Dwayne Haskins did. Right. But I think he gives Ohio State the run game like they used to have when they had JT Barrett at QB. Remember last year, Ohio State's offense was atypical in the run game. They had games where they rushed for less than 100 yards, and the majority of the games they were under 200 yards rushing. I think they get back to running the football more this year. Schedule doesn't set up very easy for them at the end of the year when they have to play Michigan on the road. But other than that, they'll probably be favored in their games. And I think Ohio State will still do pretty well, but I I actually did not pick them to win the East for once. Yeah, which I want to get to Michigan. Michigan's obviously had guys that left early for the NFL draft. Rashawn Gary, for example. Bush, the people in Pittsburgh, love him so far. So how do you view Michigan's defense, Phil, and what difference now as a second-year starter can Shea Patterson make? Well, you know, I think Shea Patterson's going to have a much bigger year for two reasons. It's his second year there, and then they bring in Josh Gaddis as the offensive coordinator. Sure. Gaddis is switching schemes. They've been running the two tight ends, the fullback, and lining everybody up in the box, running the pro-style set. Now Gaddis is coming in. You're going to see them fully committed to the spread offense, uh, running a lot of uh, – uh, 10 personnel, 11 personnel, and really opening it up. And I think that's a benefit to Shea Patterson. Plus, he's got a really good offensive line in front yeah. of him as well. And with Michigan, it's Don Brown's defense. And, you know, they do lose a lot from last year. But I'm going to take you back to 2017. They had one returning starter on defense. Right. They gave up 271 yards per game, 18.8 yards per carry. They were one of the best defenses in the country. And uh, I think Don Brown's pretty confident in the defense that he's got coming back this year. Great secondary. And they've got some players up front, like Quiddy Pay, Carlo yep. Kemp, uh, Aiden Hutchinson. So I think Michigan's still going to have a legitimate top 10 defense this year. And that secondary is critical because if he can play you man up on the outside, as you know, Phil, then that allows him to play the Don Brown defense where he can turn the other nine loose. Absolutely. And if he can, if he has the cornerback play, like Lavert Hill yes. and Ambry Thomas, those two guys right there both have good size, good coverage ability. That just completely opens up that defense to the blitz package. And uh, I tell you what, if I was an offense coordinator, that's one team I, I, I would not enjoy facing. All right, now let's get to Michigan State now. They have a lot of people back. You know, Willicus is back on defense. Bocce's back at linebacker. Brian Lewerke is a guy that, that when he's on, he's on. But he was banged up last year. But when he's off, it affects them. So what kind of barometer do you have on Michigan State, the kind of team that, that Mark can have this year? Well, no-brainer, the defense is going to be good with eight starters back from that unit yes. that uh, was number one in the nation in rush defense last year. And you talked about all their stars are back. Willikas, Bocce, uh, Josiah Scott is a guy that yeah. at cornerback. Remember the difference he made when he got back in the lineup last year no and now doubt. he's back there full-time? So that's a dynamic defense. Now, offensively last year, it wasn't just Lewerke that was banged up. I mean, their running backs were banged up. Their receivers were banged up. On the offensive line, it seemed like it was – a different unit every week, and sometimes they were replacing two starters every week. So right. they are much more, uh, if they can remain healthier. Remember the offense coming into last year, there were people projecting, you know, 450, 500 yards per game, best offense Michigan State's had. Now they've got the bulk of those personnel back. So I think they're a dangerous team uh, coming in, and I do think the offense will not resemble last year's unit, which averages 18.7 points per game. Which then brings us to Penn State. What's the read now you have on Penn State after, after the spring? You know, 
talking to Coach Franklin each year coming in, I had pretty much anticipated that the starting quarterback this year was going to be Tommy Stevens, but uh, now he's probably going to be starting for Mississippi State. Uh, but it's a young, uh, young unit in the skill positions, quarterback, running back, and receiver, all very young. They're solid on the offensive line. Got to love the defense coming in. I mean, Etor Grossmetos, uh, Robert Windsor, Parsons at linebacker, Cam Brown, John Reed. These guys are all NFL caliber guys. And last year, Penn State had uh, 47 sacks among the tops in the country. So you're looking at a defense that's right at the top. Offensively, it's going to be depend how quickly these skill position players adapt because they are young at uh, running back quarterback and receiver, but there is talent there, so the potential's there for Penn State. I'm going to sum up Penn State season this way, uh, Steve. Uh, I'm going to say Halloween, because it all depends what the heck happens in October. It's trick or treat. It is at Iowa, home, or excuse me, uh, open up with Purdue, at Iowa, Michigan, at Michigan State. Trick or treat. If you win three out of the four, you're a Big East contender. It, it could turn into an ugly October. We'll see what happens. And that then you mentioned the Michigan-Ohio State game at the end. The other part, people, some people forget, is Penn State plays Ohio State the week before they play Michigan. So, I mean, Ohio State's got that backloaded this year as to playing Penn State and Michigan back-to-back. All right. That's uh, right. Yeah. Now let's get I want to get to Nebraska for a moment. It's his second year. Yet a lot of people have jumped on that Nebraska bandwagon with Scott Frost. Are you on the bandwagon with them or are you being cautious about it? Uh well, uh, you know, last year my number one most improved team in the country was Florida. Florida was coming off a 4 and 8 season. Right. Saw a lot of factors pointing up picked them my number one most improved team in the country, and they did pretty well. They finished in the top ten at the end of the year, sure so did. I was pretty happy with it. This year, my number one most improved team in the country is a team you just touched on, Nebraska. And, you know, when you watch Nebraska at the start of last year, they were learning completely different schemes on offense and defense as well. And it took them a while to acclimate. I didn't think they were bad in the first half of the year. They could easily have won some of those games where they went 0-6. But they did go 4-2 and down the stretch, played a lot better. They've got a quarterback that fits the system perfectly in Adrian Martinez. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten. They've got a lot of quality running backs. The offensive line looks solid. And defensively, after a few years where they probably shouldn't have passed out a single black shirt because they haven't been playing great defense right. recently, I think they'll play better D this year. And then look at their schedule. The road games this year are against Colorado, losing record last year. Yep. Illinois, losing record last year. Minnesota barely got above 500 mm-hmm. last year. Purdue finished with a losing record. Maryland, losing record. So they don't play a single team that's dominant on the road. They get Ohio State at home, but they avoid Michigan, they avoid yep. Michigan State, they avoid Penn State. That's a schedule tailor-made to actually win the West, and that's why I put them as my number one most improved team, and I, I did pick them to win the West. They get Wisconsin at home, they get Northwestern at home, they get Iowa at home, and all three of those games are going to be huge for them this year. Yeah, early last season we were watching a game in the booth because Penn State had a later game, and Jack Ham and I were watching Adrian Martinez, and we looked at each other and said, you know what, he's got his guy. Uh, and it, you know, now he got hurt, and then he had to come back from that. But to me, that by getting him, I thought that was the piece he needed to get himself out of the gate. 
Yeah, and had he not got injured against Colorado in the third quarter, I yep. think they would have won that game. They yep. would have won the next week against Troy. And Agreed. Who knows? With a couple of early season wins, it might have been a completely different season last year. There was so much last year that was a learning curve and the injuries and the schedule that all those things look so much better this year. I think we're going to see one of the most improved teams in the country. Uh, you know, it seems like we're in an era in the college football playoff where the more things change, they still say the same. And there have been some different teams that have been able to get into the final four, Notre Dame, of course, being one of them last year. But is it still really the same grouping in your mind, or is there somebody that can break through and get into that top six or seven and make a run at it? Yeah, I'm going to throw a real surprise team out at you this year. Now, last year, my number one surprise team in the country, and to clarify what a surprise team is, it is a non-top ten team that I think can make the playoffs. Well, last year, my number one surprise team was Notre Dame. Right. Notre Dame wasn't in the top 10 at the start of the year. And guess what? They made the playoffs. Yeah. Well, this year, I'm even going deeper into the well. I'm taking <laughs> Utah. And I don't think anybody even has Utah in their top 25 coming into the season. Right. But what, I, what I'd what i love is defense and defensive lines. And, you know, you go back to Clemson last year with their defensive line. Yeah. It was pretty much dominant, and they ended up winning the national title. Well, Utah has the nation's best defensive line. We're talking about... Fotu, Penasini, Anae, Tupaya, they go 11 deep on the defense line. They can rotate, uh, and they are going to be dominant on the defensive front. They've got a great set of linebackers. The secondary is loaded with Jalen Johnson at cornerback, Julian Blackman at free safety. So they're going to play some dominant defense in the Pac-12. Now, offensively last year, they went 9-5, and but they lost their starting quarterback, Tyler Huntley, and they lost their starting running back, Zach Moss, to injury. Moss was going to be one of the, on the Maxwell list at the end of the year, and then he got injured and missed the last five games. Those guys are back. The replacements are back. The offensive line looks solid. And then the schedule gets easier. Last year they played all the top teams in the Pac-12 North, and they also had to play most of the tough games on the road. This year they avoid a lot of the teams out of the Pac-12 North. They get Washington State at home. The only two tough road tests are USC and Washington, and both those teams in a little bit of a rebuilding mode. I've got Utah as my number one surprise team. It wouldn't surprise me if they shocked everybody and made the playoffs, despite coming off a 9-5 season. You know, Washington had a very good offense last year. When they played them in the Pac-12 championship game, Washington had to fight for every inch on the field. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky, lucky to score. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lucky to score. Uh, all right, so that's your number one surprise. Look, there are obviously the standard bearers, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson. Uh, do you see any fall off in those teams at all at this particular stage? All three of those teams actually look like they could be uh, as good, if not better, than last year. Right. Alabama and Clemson offensively. Actually, the top three offenses in the country. There's no weakness there. All three have outstanding offensive lines. All three have outstanding quarterbacks. All three have outstanding receiving cores. All three have outstanding running backs. Defensively, when you look at them, you remember last year, Alabama only had three returning starters on defense. Right. This year, they have six. They only lose five guys off the defense of the NFL. That's a low number for them. Yeah. So this is going to be a, a your typical loaded Alabama defense. Not the one you were watching in the championship game when they gave up 44 points. But, heck, a lot of teams are going to give up 44 points to Clemson. Georgia's defense looks better this year. Clemson's D doesn't look quite as good as last year. I mean, they do lose four guys the NFL, three first-round draft picks. Yeah. But I rate their defensive line number five in the country. So they've got the replacements. Yeah, they got the replacements lined up. Xavier Thomas, Justin Foster, here's a couple of names that you gotta learn because they'll be the dominant players this year on Clemson's defensive front. 
What do you think of Georgia and where they, they fit into this? I think Georgia makes could make the playoff this year. When you yeah. look at Georgia, uh, as mentioned, they've got six starters back on both offense and defense. Jake Fromm back at QB. The offense is going to be loaded defensively. Last year they were rather inexperienced on defense, and I think it showed at times this year. They're more experienced on the defensive side of the ball. And then you look at their schedule. Their road games this year, they're against Georgia Tech, which is completely shifting systems. So Georgia Tech is a team they've handled in the past. They'll be able to win that one. Tennessee, Vanderbilt, they play Florida and Jacksonville, and they play Auburn on the road. I think Auburn's the toughest road test, and they lost the last time there. Right. But Georgia has uh, will be favored in all 12 games this year. I think that we might see an undefeated Georgia and undefeated Alabama in the SEC championship game. And then you've got Texas A&M. Jimbo's second year there, you talk about a loaded schedule. He's got a loaded schedule along the way. Can they start to make that move? You know, I know Alabama's at the top there in the West. LSU's there as well. Can A&M start to make a move, in your opinion? Yes. And uh, when I talked to Coach Fisher this year, I wrapped up the conversation by saying, Coach, I think I'm going to put Texas A&M on my cover, national (laughs) cover, next year. Next year. year. (laughs) Because, you know, this year they open up with Clemson on the road, as you mentioned. Uh, They have to play Alabama at home. They have to play Georgia on the road. They have to play LSU on the road. That is a killer schedule, and they're somewhat inexperienced in certain areas. They only have four starters back on D. Next year, that defense looks to replace maybe just one starter, so the defense is going to be nasty. Kellen Mond will be a senior next year. Yep. Uh, in fact, the bulk of this team, it's a junior-sophomore team. I think Texas A&M next year challenges Alabama big time in the SEC West, and I think Jimbo Fisher might just have the Aggies on the cover, but next year. This year is still one year away. Experience-wise, schedule-wise, I think they're one year away. Yeah, It is uh, always a pleasure. It is great to have you with us. You add so much, and it is the only one I'll I'll actually uh, put my dollars down to get because it's that good. I appreciate that, Steve. That's a great comment, and uh, I always enjoy chatting football with you, my friend. You're definitely very knowledgeable. Yeah, thanks so much, Phil. It's great to have you with us. Enjoy the summer. Can't wait to talk with you again. Sounds good, Steve. Have yourself a great summer, my friend. The great Phil Steele, great to have him with us on the show today. Uh, again, uh, the news uh, overnight after the NBA draft was over with that Josh Reeves signed a two-way deal with the Dallas Mavericks. Your salary in the G League's higher. Normally, uh, the G League salaries around thirty-five thousand. Josh can make eighty thousand uh, because of the two-way contract. And if he can spend some time with the Mavericks, he can make a couple hundred grand with us all said and done between the two contracts and the two-way deal. So that's great news for him. And he'll be on the Mavericks summer league team. Today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Stock up tonight, and we're in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you Monday on News Radio 1070 WKOK.